Hello and welcome back. Uh, this is Record Talk Listen. For those of you who are not familiar, my name is Lydia. Thank you for tuning in. Today's show is excellent. As always, we have the wonderful John O'Rourke, who has graced us with his presence yet again, dropping some serious knowledge on ethics in politics, which, you know, doesn't seem like they would be, they would go hand in hand, especially now, but they do. And there are four levels of basic ethics that we're going to be discussing today and how they're applied in the political realm. So uh, on our website, which is recordtechlisten.com, we're going to be listing those four levels of ethics. So if you would like to follow along while you're listening, check out our website. Um, And while you're there, there's great um, content for you to listen to. There's over 100 episodes and uh, places for you to subscribe so you never miss another episode. We're on all major podcast platforms. Um, whatever you like, we're probably there. So make sure to check us out. And if you're feeling footloose and fancy free, you can always click that donate button or you can become a patron and get really cool perks by supporting your local podcast. That helps us be sustainable and able to bring you excellent content like this ethics podcast, ethics and politics podcast. Um, so with ethics itself, it forces you to look at different situations through different lenses and it, it makes you think a little bit. So if you need to listen to this episode multiple times, you can do that. Um, and we make them available for free for you. So if you feel like this is a good episode, uh, make sure to give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to. And then we like to hear back from you, the listener. So get in contact with us. It's great. So without further ado, let's all be in the know with Johnny O. Johnny O, you're back, and thank you so much for I'm coming. I'm back. Thanks for inviting me. I'm one of our most popular uh, guests on the show. Oh, I'm flattered to hear that. Well, you always give us some um, really good knowledge and, and things to think about, so uh, this this time will not be any different, I'm quite sure. That's what I like to do, get people thinking about broader issues, but maybe give a little framework that may not be apparent to everybody. Right, right, and maybe... Um, clear up some fogginess on some facts or there's a lot of fogginess going around our society with social media and everybody's an expert. Yes. Yes. There's tons (laughs) of experts these days. Self-proclaimed in fact. So exactly. So we are going to discuss ethics. Well, you're going to help us kind of navigate specifically ethics in government. Yeah. And that in itself is a really, really broad topic. Mm hmm. So we're going to have to narrow it down a little bit. And I thought the way we would proceed is by taking a look at um, ethics from the perspective of a uh, sort of like a political consumer. Okay. You, the citizen, what's going on in the world, particularly in my government? How can I make better sense out of it? Mm-hmm. So those of us in the field of public administration, my field of study, we look at ethics through a four-tiered or four levels of ethics. So mm-hmm. I want to introduce you to the idea of these four. And then we can talk and sort of play around with them and see how they can be useful in helping to understand why people in Washington, Annapolis, City Hall are doing what they're doing. Yeah. So we'll start with that. And we'll start with probably the most basic level of ethics is what people usually call personal morality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the idea that, you know, you grew up in a certain religious orientation maybe right. or a particular ethnic neighborhood mm-hmm. or a particular region of the country. 
particular socioeconomic group. All these things give each individual uh, different cues as to how to behave. Right. What's appropriate to do and what's not. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing about it is, you know, the family right across the street from you, same sort of almost everything you have may not have the same type of personal morality as you. Right. So it's highly variable. And I haven't yet heard a really good explanation as to why that variability exists. I mean, we identify a whole slew of characteristics that seem to contribute to your personal morality. Mm -hmm. But why is somebody who's just a smidge different in this sort of setting of characteristics, right. uh, why does he or she carry a different sort of ethical value set than you? Yeah, and sometimes they don't even realize, they, don't, they themselves don't even know why. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's one of these things where um, one of the, the truisms in the world of education is what you learn first, you learn best. Mm-hmm. So sort of your first socializing agent happens to be your family right and then school um and people often confuse school with like teachers Mm -hmm. but really it's your social interaction group of course your elementary school teachers are in the mix as well but but it's it's the kids you hang out with yes your peer group and then it works its way through your life like that so uh but in the end one of the filters we use to understand the world around us is this thing that we call our personal morality. Mm -hmm. After that, we move up sort of a level and we look at things called professional ethics. Uh, Many careers have stipulated rules of procedure, operation, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, ethical guidelines built into them. Yes. For example, the um, Public Administration Society has a published set of ethical rules that are taught, for example, at master's levels in in public administration. Mm -hmm. Lawyers have to take courses in ethics. Doctors, Hippocratic Oath. Yeah, absolutely. I almost said hypocritical oath. That would have been a mistake (laughs) there. So um, as you move out into the professional world, then there's some degree of guidance, ethical guidelines, Yes. that then sort of and here's the thing I don't really understand how these four levels interact with each other they seem does, almost independent of each other right or does this one modify the first one yeah you know it's sort of like what you what you uh, grow up with your foundation right. and uh-huh. then you're sort of adding the first second and, and third story it. yeah yes is it like a Chinese menu where you pick one from each column right or is it like convenient ideology where you pick what you like right. and throw the rest away. Right. That's a question for debate. I haven't mm-hmm. read any satisfactory answers to that yet. So <laughs> perhaps some of our listeners will have a good answer yeah. for that. Yeah, send us send us your thoughts on it. That yeah. would be great to hear. So you get your professional and it doesn't have to be something that you teach in school. Right. It could be a profession where it's hands-on training and you simply learn the guidelines for behavior from the man or woman who taught you, you mentored you, Mm -hmm. or your supervisor, things like that. Right. So you add that layer to the mix. 
And then, of course, we all work within organizations, small or large. Mm -hmm. One of the dynamics we observe about groups of people is that they create rules. Organizations are simply groups of people. Within organizations, there are two types of rules, formal and informal. Mm -hmm. And each one of these play into organizational ethics. The formal rules are the ones that the hierarchical authorities establish, part of your job contract, let's say. Mm -hmm. But the informal rules, again, come with uh, peer interaction. Yeah, don't eat my sandwich in the refrigerator. Right, exactly. Right. Everybody leaves the lunch alone, clean right, up right. after yourself, things like that. Sure. Uh, so those dynamics play in as well mm -hmm. when you're considering what type of behavior to engage in. Right. And then, of course, we have uh, sort of like the grandest overarching one is social ethics. Mm -hmm. uh, we're familiar with cultural differences around the world. We're even familiar with cultural differences within a society as large as the United States. Right. We don't often pair that with the idea of varying social ethical standards. Mm. Um, think of some of the stereotypes, like Texans are big and brash and carry guns. And right. New England is kind of reserved and uptight. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. All of those yeah. things, those stereotypes, um, are examples of sort of played out or overstated right. um, guidelines for behavior. Yes. And that plays into our social ethics as well. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, of course, you have uh, political socialization, and that teaches you behavior patterns as well. Uh, for example, in democracies, voting is considered essential. Right. Well, we would hope. Well, but how do we get to the point where our last election, presidential election, mm -hmm. we had less than 42% turnout rate? Right. Well, it brings me to a point about all of these levels of ethics is they are malleable, or changeable over time. Right. Higher participation rates, at least the presidential elections, were commonplace in the United States. Mm -hmm. Was this a blip or is this a change in our guidelines for political behavior? Mm -hmm. Voting is no longer considered an essential act of democracy. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping it's not because of a lack of understanding, but it might just be that people are more self-consumed than they have been in the past could very well be yes or ethical compasses have shifted at the personal level right uh one of the foundational elements of american political identity i guess we'll call it is individualism mm -hmm. it's been glorified in the Oh, Teddy Roosevelt, Rough Rider, the sure. rugged individualist, the um, pioneers mm -hmm. capturing the Wild West, all those stories that yeah. we have from elementary school history books. Um, but it was always tempered with a degree of communalism. Right. We did this for the betterment right. of the community. It takes a village to raise a child right. type of yeah. thing or, you know... Um, the European settlers came here, didn't come here one at a time. They came in groups. Mm -hmm. The uh, pioneers who traveled across the country went in groups. Survival was dependent on group cooperation to some degree. Right. So one of the debates that's going on concerning the political culture and thus the social ethics of our society today would be 
has the pendulum changed in terms of our relationship between individualism and communalism in the United States? Mm. And if it has, what has occasioned that change? Well, that's an interesting question because I think people think that they're a part of a community, Mm -hmm. but they're really not. Like it's a virtual community. Well, there's the other thing, the influence of social media, which you can be part of a group that uh, spans the globe. Right, exactly. One of the, uh, we talk in public administration all the time about group dynamics in organizations, and the poor textbooks are so far behind. Mm Mm-hmm. They constantly point out that informal group dynamics is based upon, the formation of informal groups is based upon a couple of key factors, one of which is proximity of membership. Wait, like, that's no whoops. longer a factor <laughs> yeah, anymore, exactly. right? Yeah, so. So is this individualism now a reflection on the personal morality level here? Mm-hmm. And is that then bleeding into the social ethics? Yeah. Um, or is it a reflection, uh, for example, of the organizational dynamics? That's the organizational ethics. Uh, take, for example, the idea that politicians in the United States are only out for themselves. Right. Okay. That would be a, sort of a, a textbook example of this individualism. Mm-hmm. Me, me, me. Yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Right. All for the betterment of me. Uh, right. People start running for re-election as soon as they get elected. Right. Okay. So does that reflect a personal ethic of me first, putting myself first, I'm the most important person? Mm -hmm. Or does it reflect something like along the lines of an organizational ethics? This is how you succeed in Congress. Well, it's more like a business. Or in the the White House or in business. Individualism in business, entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. seems to have more sway than the communal spirit. Yep. So now you get this push in U.S. politics recently to throw the bums out, meaning politicians, right, and replace them with other professionals. So, like, uh, instead of lawyers, MBAs. Well, that's a profession, and what sort of ethical guidelines? come with that profession as opposed to the previous one right or um what sort of organizational ethics are prevalent in businesses i mean right i mean it seems like there's no standard because everybody can have different sets of organizational structures but one of the fundamental premises of private business is to increase profit right and that assuming a zero-sum game that would mean that your increased profit comes at someone else's loss. Mm-hmm. So there is an ethical behavior, and a, a, a lens on behavior. Right. In a business world, winners and losers, and I want to be the winner. Right. So what do I do and how far do I go in order to achieve that goal? And it's, and it's also like... Um, the competition, they say competition is healthy. Right. But you it, but in an idealistic sort of situation for a business, you don't want any competition. Exactly. So you're sort of like it's uh well, give and take. We hold up the um mom and pop grocery store yes. on the corner as the ideal. Right. And realistically, Walmart is the more common model. Mm-hmm. And 
Walmart or Amazon. Right. They're at loggerheads now, trying to squeeze each other out of the uh, um, internet market. Right. And that's the goal. Mm-hmm. So how does that dynamic play when you shift from a business environment into a political environment? Right. Where the end goal of government is supposed to be... For the people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is your target audience as the beneficiary. So it's really difficult for somebody to switch gears, as I can imagine, to go from the I statement to the our statement or the we statement. And it's and it's so hard for them to switch gears. And I don't I don't think they're doing it. No, well, you you know, just you think about where people came from, even politicians. Mm -hmm. Um, It's odd that a politician is generally not considered a profession. Right. No, there's no formal. Professions are often defined Some sort of formal education. Right, You know, even if you're like, um, you know, an iron worker, you Mm -hmm. have some apprenticeship and education. Exactly. There's Um, a process. Right. You go through Mm -hmm. um, training, instruction, whether it's in a classroom environment or at the the hands of somebody else, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, you got to have certain aspects of chemistry involved. Right. All sorts of stuff. What do you need for a politician? Money. Money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so people are loath to describe it as a poli- as a profession. Cause, right. Well, it's also got negative connotations. It's like being a used car salesman. Right. It's like right up there with the ick factor. Exactly. You know, what do you do? Oh, I'm a politician. Oh, yeah. All exactly. right. Or mm-hmm. I work for the IRS. Ooh, sorry. Ooh. So. My name isn't. Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, you, you, you take this dynamic and you think, okay, people have been in congressional offices, state-level offices right. for decades. Yes. They have influential decision-making powers. Mm-hmm. They make good salaries. Um, they have the ability to attract resources to them. All the things other things that we would use to characterize white-collar professions. Correct. So do we really have politicians as a profession these days? Yeah, I mean... And if so, are there a set of professional ethics, guidelines for behavior right? that we're just ignoring because, ew, politicians are icky, we don't want to deal with them. Right. I think, I think that's an interesting thought because you have a person that's occupying the highest ranking political office that has zero political experience. Exactly. Now, Donald Trump is a great example of um, what is driving the behavior. Mm -hmm. If you look at this, okay, you got the the personal morality that we all run around with. Sure. And then he's got training as a business professional. Mm -hmm. He's worked within business organizations. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uh, has been socialized, like the rest of us, into a more individualized view of the world than many other societies. Right. Can we use this information to try to understand his behavior? Now, let me just give you a caveat here. Uh-huh. When we say ethics, we're really talking about it in the broadest sense. Just the word simply means guidelines for behavior. Right. We tend to confuse ethics with things like morality. And religion. And religion mm-hmm. and right and wrong, good versus evil. Right, right, right. Ethics are more basically just a term that we use to describe 
rules that you follow. Right. And they tell you yes or no. I should do this. I shouldn't do this. Right. Right or wrong in the small sense with little r and little w. Mm -hmm. It's like, should I do this? Right. Would it be the correct thing to do? What's the precedent for that? Exactly. Yeah. Not the big broad like you're going to burn in hell type of right and wrong. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, So when we look at politicians' behavior, um, ethics, don't confuse it with the idea of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Use it from the perspective of, I want to evaluate what's he doing and what's driving it. Right. So the simplest explanation I can come up with for Mr. Trump is he has always operated in the me arena. Mm -hmm. And now, as President of the United States, he has to operate in an us arena arena yes we the people servant Mm -hmm. he's never had to be a servant right so or is it rather his uh personality Mm -hmm. you know the personal morality approach right what about him he has always been you know his his language he calls people losers Mm -hmm. and so embedded in there is winner loser psychology right and you always want to be the winner. Well, and he's, he's got, he is using the big R and the big W and the right and the wrong. Well, there's that too. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we, that's a whole issue of like propaganda right, and yeah. how language mm-hmm. is used sure. to convince people to support you. But what about what can explain his behavior? And the two things that come up for me are the uh, organizational, mm-hmm. his background in organizations. Yeah. And personal morality. His code of behavior is to win. At all, at all costs, no matter how many people well, are hurt or anything you else. You couple that with the organizational ethic of, it's my responsibility to win for my organization. Right. And everyone else is going to have to be losers. Right. Possibly <clears throat> you get a window into uh, his approach to the world. Right. Like... Mm. You know, this health care bill failed again. It was like the zombie of bills. It just kept coming it back, does. reanimating in a different, more awful way. Exactly. Um, but it, it failed, and he couldn't accept that. Right. And he was like, you can't go on vacation. You can't do this. And what he fails to realize is that he is not the sole right. decision maker in policy. Like he would be on an organizational level. And that's another dynamic, because within... <laughs> The profession of politics, group action is required. Yeah. Individuals play significant roles, but an individual doesn't have the resources to control everything. Like right. you would if you're the private owner of a company. Mm-hmm. It's my company. I can do what I want. Correct. Or if you're the major stockholder of a large company, you can have your way. Mm-hmm. The ethics of the profession, if we're going to call it a profession, involves a skillful use of compromise, negotiation, um, interaction Mm -hmm. with individuals. Yeah. Uh, And I don't see Mr. Trump engaging in that. No. And it's it's also like a sense of community. I mean, because even though, I mean, you can see it with um, when there is not like a political debate afoot. You know, uh, they all interact right. with each other right. and they all know each other's families and they all they all know yes. each other. Uh-huh. And so they've created this community of politicians or right. professional community. Right. Because um, even if you retire, you're still a part of that community. Sure. 
Um, you go in the back door as a lobbyist. Well, right, exactly. So you can hang out with all of your friends right. and with a little bit of padding in your pockets. But exactly. I think that you know you've got a. They're creating this community, and it's not something that our president's right. familiar with. Exactly. But you know, look also at the, the Republican health care bill is also a great dynamic to study Congress through mm-hmm. an ethical lens as well. Right. Large numbers of organizations who would traditionally support the Republicans came mm-hmm. out against this the bill. various iterations yeah. of the bill. Absolutely. What would encourage the leadership to continue to pursue it? Well, okay, you go back. Now you have the personal morality. Mm -hmm. Is this the I want to win mentality? I think it was the I want to win mentality. Winning is really important. Yeah. Is this the professional? Well, not within the framework that we just discussed as professional politicians working in a group. Mm -hmm. But is this organizational? One of the dynamics that people are suggesting is that a return, we're seeing a return to strict party based interactions in Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the first time. No. But it's sort of, there's a long debate in congressional history about when it was the heyday of parties and what happened and how it was replaced. But now it seems that um, party line vote is almost universally expected. Right. So, is that a changing guideline? Well, rule? I don't ethic know. I, well, I'd hope so. I'd hope so because, you, I mean, you elect your member of Congress to think for the good of their particular community. Right. And be an independent thinker. Right. With the ability to take in a lot of different points of view to make a solid decision. Um, that's what you would hope. True. Um, but you know, you have, and you did have people, two women, in fact, Mm -hmm. the Republican party go, uh, no, this is not, this is not good for my community. It's not good for the us scenario. Exactly. And, um, they stood up for for that Mm -hmm. and that was amazing. Right. And they unwavering were like this uh, ethically, I can't vote for this bill. Exactly. Their ethic was defined along uh, a variety of lines here. Right. Um, And you could take each one of them and look, okay, let's take a look at the four levels of ethics here and see what was guiding these two women's decision Mm -hmm. not to take the party stance. Right. Um, You could have the personal morality of helping your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, the professional, I'm a servant of the people. Mm-hmm. Organizational, that one would be a little trickier for me to come up with because if it's, as we were just discussing, the organizational dynamics are switching back to a hard party line, right. then they would stand out as anomalies in that in organizational sort of emerging yeah. development. And then there's the, the social ethics. Um, there seems to be some degree of community caring Mm -hmm. in U.S. political culture. Yeah, I mean, whether it's real or not. Right. Well, it's not totally uh, individualistic. Right. Uh, Crisis 
provides an example. Absolutely. Towns get flooded. Everybody starts bringing blankets and yep. giving money and things like mm-hmm. that. So were they behaving in uh, guidelines, according to guidelines, social guidelines? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that they are acting in social guidelines and personal guidelines. And also in an organizational standpoint, you can look at that as a good tax write-off as a donation to that. I mean, I think it's ethically across the board mm-hmm. a good idea just to, to support somebody in a disaster crisis right. situation. Yeah, exactly. So, And then, but, you know, in putting yourself in the people's position. Yeah. Yeah. The point is that... Uh, what guides our behavior, overall point about ethics, is what guides our behavior is multifaceted. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things that we don't really know about, consciously, mm-hmm. that are affecting our decision making. I agree. And that goes forward into not just you and I, but important decision makers mm-hmm. who have influence over big things. Right. And the more you keep that in mind, of course, it encourages you to get to know more about them. That's what I was about to say. It's sort of like you have to put yourself in their position. Right. And you have to say, okay, if I were in their position, what would I do? Not right. not by my gut, but uh-huh. by the facts right. that were presented to me. Or an interesting, I guess you would call exercise or game sounds better. Mm-hmm. What would I do differently and right. why? And then use your ethical compass to figure out, you know, it's just going to be a guess, but to give right. you some insight. Sure. Okay, uh, so-and-so is not me. Mr. Trump is not me. So mm-hmm. I would do this. He's not. Why did I do that? Which one of these four levels of ethics? What's guiding my behavior? Right. Is this like a, just a knee-jerk reaction on a right. personal level? Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, you always have to look at it from the other side. Right. Because how are you going to come up with a a valid argument or rebuttal to the other side unless you kind of understand where they're coming yeah. from, you know? Well, my training is as a comparative political scientist. We firmly believe that we learn best by comparison. Yeah. And you are your own, you, you know, most, uh, how do I put this? You know yourself best well, more absolutely. than anything else. Yeah. yeah. So you're your best point of comparison mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. Yeah, and I mean, I would, I would say, like, I probably would not make some of the same decisions I made in my twenties now. Right. Well, there's another thing. We all go back and reflect. Yeah. And we're very happy that social media didn't exist back oh, then. Oh God! Yeah, right. Aren't we all? <laughs> we're lucky. Yeah. We, were, we were the lucky ones. Not everyone was carrying around a f- camera and a and phone a, and, a video. and a video in their pocket. Oh, my yeah, goodness, exactly. Right. Yeah. right. Oh. And I think maybe that is. Um, you know, that, that's obviously a good thing for us. But, you know, it's also a good thing for us that that's happening now, too, because <laughs> we can see um, things uh, in real time that might have just been pushed under the rug or said. You know, so there that's is it's a double-edged sword there. That's true. You do get the challenge, though, of information overload. Yeah. For example, this is off topic, but the whole idea of fake news. Mm. People can buy into the idea of fake news because there are so many news sources out there. Right. And the internet is unvetted. Right. Anybody can go out and put anything. Mm-hmm. That could be a great advantage. But it's also the source of huge propaganda machines. Right. And I'm, I'm not talking about large organizations. No, it could I'm just, just be like anybody. I'm just talking about anybody. a person. Right. Yes. And 
you can spread your biases fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what we're seeing is people using their four levels of ethics and just posting it, right. good, bad, or indifferent, right. on the internet in some format. 185 characters or less. Sure. Or whatever it is. These I think they upped it to like 250 or something, didn't they? Which for Twitter. Twitter? It's a one it's a 140. Uh, 140. I think okay. It's still 140, yeah. Well, they um and you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a TV producer, an editor for a newspaper, a congressperson, a president, relatively public figures, you can do research and find out about them. Right. You can go through our little exercise and compare you to them. Um, me, I'm not really a public figure. Mm-hmm. There's not, you're not going to be able to find that much information. Now, people are going to take that as a challenge. Right, oh, right, yeah, right. you want to oh, bet? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's not very interesting, trust me. <laughs> but your average person who has access to the Internet and posts things, right? Uh, it's harder to determine what their biases are what their orientations are right. in terms of our four levels of ethics here. That's not what something they fill out. What their profession is right. even, yes. Yeah. Organizationally, mm-hmm. are they a part of an organization? Like, are they part of the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union? Right. The Russia's, I'm sorry, I'm old. I keep getting caught in Soviet Union. Right, right. Um, are they part of anything? Right. So. I mean, that's the thing. It's like nobody fills out a form. It's not like, you know, where you work and, you know, what your favorite book is and what are your four keys? How do you feel about your four keys? Where do you fit into the four keys of ethics? That's not, that's not something that's there. And and I think that identify your status on these four levels of ethics. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think 125 characters or less, but I, right. But I think that that is why as a society, we can all function and sort of hang out together without any relative, um, discourse for the most part is because those things aren't written across your forehead right? and people cannot make snap judgments about you based on how you might feel about certain things that might be different from mm-hmm. you. Um, which True. I guess is good. And they can always expand and change. You're not yeah. beholden to the things that you, change, the, the, change is very useful. Yeah. Change is an interesting dynamic that we all yep. go through, whether we admit it or not. Right. Right. So, I mean, your personal morality, for example, is much different than it was 20 years ago. If, you know, statistically speaking. Yeah, sure. When you move from your young into your sort of middle adult ages into your old adult. I mean, the concept of the conservative drift has held sway in political science for years. Right. You know, it goes with... I guess the whole point for today is um, ethics are just another lens you can use to look at to try to understand people and behaviors. Right. And unfortunately, it's a very complex lens. You know that thing? You go to the eye doctor and they keep switching lenses on you and sure. all that stuff? yeah. I feel like when I'm explaining these levels of ethics, I'm asking you to look through this eyeglass machine and uh-huh. it's not very easy to work out. No, and sometimes it's not very clear. No. And I think also, with especially with politics, is that it's an, a constantly unfolding story. Right. So you're not going to get, you're going to get little glimpses of what could be the whole picture. Right. And in order for you to really make a solid decision or uh, judgment about something, you have yeah. to wait for it to all unfold. And that's the, that is one of the challenges with the internet. Mm-hmm. Things explode immediately. 
Oh, do they ever. And people form immediate reactions. Mm -hmm. And again, it's easy, it's very difficult to get people to admit that they were wrong. It's very difficult for us to get ourselves to admit that yeah. we are wrong. Yeah. We don't like to be wrong. No, no, I know. You're we right. We don't like to make mistakes, even though mistakes are healthy and they're a natural part yeah. of life. So you just sort of latch on to, this is uh, your bias bubble that people are talking about these days. You mm -hmm. latch on to people who present information that with which you agree mm -hmm. and that supports your perspective. And then you're going to continue to follow them and think that their right. news sources are accurate because it sounds good to you at the time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I, and like we've said before, is that you have to access reputable right. news sources. And you can't accept, I'm sorry, this is more partisan I usually like to get, but you can't accept the broad-based labeling that's going on in Washington right. of fake news. Mm -hmm. That, in my opinion, has been a knee-jerk reaction on the part of the administration to yeah. information that they don't like. Right, there's alternative facts. Yeah, there's a difference between something that you don't like and a lie or a falsehood, right. an alternative fact, an untruth. Mm -hmm. Simply because it does not agree with your perspective doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. So people should be very leery about anything that's labeled fake news or using the term yourself. Right, yeah. I, I mean, I tend to not... I try to not use fake news. Right. Because I don't want to perpetuate that awful right. term. Because I think you, you, everybody is uh, independent enough, hopefully, to make their own decisions and figure out where they're going to get their news sources. And if you are going to continue to just do what you want to do, that's fine. But you have to be prepared right. to, to, for other people to say, well, have you yes. read this or have you explored that? And, and as we suggested before, it takes some effort. Less than it did before the information age, but True. still, it does. Blindly following your favorite news program, particularly a news program that has a decided bias, mm -hmm. is not a good idea. No, there are alternative sources of information out there. Right, and these days, particularly with government documents, you can access government documents online. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government has been doing a fantastic job of digitizing current information. Right. Uh, in fact, they have regulations that things have to be published, both paper and electronically. Mm -hmm. uh, you can imagine it's a gargantuan task, but Absolutely. they're doing a respectable job of going back in history and digitizing as well. Mm -hmm. So you don't need Fox News, MSNBC. You can get the text of a piece of legislation. Yeah. There was a piece going on, uh, gone around the Internet that said that uh, uh, a bipartisan group was supporting a bill that would make it illegal to support any boycott of Israel and make it illegal to seek information about the boycott. Okay. Okay, so now my first reaction is, can this really be real? The idea of uh, making it illegal to support the boycott of Israel, I can see that. Mm -hmm. That's within a legitimate policy frame of reference. Sure. But I just couldn't believe that the particular cast of characters would support a bill that made it illegal to seek information. About the boycott. Right. Mm -hmm. That just seemed 
beyond the pale. Right. So I um, quickly posted up and uh, asked for help. I said, is this true? Does anyone know? Because some of my friends are more politically tuned in to mm-hmm. um, these particular politicians. Sure. And within 15 minutes, somebody came back with the um, House bill. Or maybe it was a Senate bill. I forget sure. which one. Which was under consideration. Mm-hmm. Boom. There was the original text in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't need to rely on somebody else. But it's also somebody else's interpretation of what they're reading. That's it. You know. And I saw what I suspected was true, that the U.S. policy would be to not support the boycott. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see anything indicating that. You couldn't ask about yeah, it. Yeah. Information would be boycotted as well. Right, right, right. Took a little bit of effort, a little bit of help from my friends. Yeah, but, but I didn't have to question the source. No. Nope. It was the U.S. Congress. And it was think, the actual piece under consideration. And I think when you ask people to cite their sources, right. they can't do it. No. Where did you read that? Yes. Oh, I'll, as if it's online and it's not from like yes. a reputable news source. Really. It was on Facebook. It was on Facebook. Facebook has become people's news source. I know. There's a number of articles about that and how challenging it is um, for library and library staff information technology yeah. people because they spend their whole lives vetting information, reviewing, going through, checking sources. Sure. And it's it's a, research. I mean, they're yes, doing their whole thing as research. Yeah. It's a complicated, time-consuming process. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they produce these materials that are excellent resources for people who want to know information. Sure. Uh, and then there's somebody who's got a computer or a cell phone, <laughs> punches it out, and the next thing you know... It's fact. Right. Yeah. They've done no research, not just they, they heard from somebody whose cat whispered in their ear that right. this was going to happen. And <laughs> next thing you know, it's making the rounds. Right. And, I just, I would like to people to like maybe just imagine a life where you took a month off of social media and the only way that you could get your news was through traditional media, meaning like the radio, print, right. or, you know, television. Just the major networks, though. I mean, because if you're going to you know, live kind of a right. smaller life, major oh, networks. You mean like when I was a kid? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, even when I was a kid, it was you didn't have you. I had to use encyclopedias. You had to go to the library. You had to oh, do all these things. Yes. And I think that that made for you to read several different. You had to read several different books, several different sources to kind yeah. of come up with your own idea and come up with your own conclusions of how right. a particular thing might have happened. And I don't, I think we've lost that because right. people can just go online and say, well, this person said this, so that must be true and that, but this person says, I mean, you can have right. 25 different they contradictory hypercritical things. society mm-hmm. without critical thinking, thinking. Yeah. We seem to avoid the critical analysis part and just go right to the criticism. Right. When I talk to my students about writing, an analysis. I have to explain to them the difference between criticize and critically evaluate. Right. Because as soon as they see the C word, it's like, oh, well, this sucks. That's bad. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. I don't. It, it does suck. Okay. But why does it? That's suck? why I gave it to you. Yeah. Yes. Explain to me why it sucks. What's wrong with it? What would make it better? Right. 
And that gives you the skill set to go out into the real world and read a newspaper article and say, there's no data here. Right. What is this? Why is this not in the opinion section? Well, right. Or um, this article saying the same thing five different times in five different ways. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you have to really seek the answers right. to and pose questions. My God, please start asking questions. At the end of the day, believe what you want to believe. Mm-hmm. But go through the exercise so that you believe it for a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're operating on faith. Right. And that's fine. If that's what you want to do, recognize that's what you're doing then. Right. And and also maybe allow yourself the ability to hold one opinion for the moment. Right. And be okay with changing that opinion when new things come to light. You know what I mean? Exactly. I think give yourself the ability to say, instead of putting yourself in a box, so to speak, you can say, for right now, this is how I feel about mm-hmm. it. But that could change. Yeah, come up. Uh, some of my favorite academics are people who don't agree with their original work. Yeah, sorry. That, I mean, that's just growth. Yeah. And uh, the world changes around you. Yeah. More information comes to light. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is great. I mean, I'm, I we are going to put those four levels of ethics on our website so that people can look at them. And kind of figure out how to navigate yeah. that themselves. That's yeah. great. I mean, they really yeah. do. It's, it's a lot simpler than it sounds. Just sort of, you know, what are some key factors that influence your life? Right. Well, I'm a teacher. Right. Uh, well, yeah, you better be- believe that has a big impact on the way I think and behave. Absolutely. Uh, I was raised Catholic, middle class, working New York. That definitely affects the way I view the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, I work at a particular university. They got rules of behavior that I follow. Yeah. And then, of course, we are all impacted by the society, the yeah. U.S., mm-hmm. politically, culturally, regionally, sure. everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and just maybe doing a fun experiment to say, like, okay, how do let's just take a news article out of the paper and use those four levels of ethics right. to figure out how you feel about that. And maybe that'll help create some more critical thinking. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. That would be fantastic. <laughs> if we were a more critically thinking-oriented society, I think we would be having a lot different types of conversation. Well, right. At the national level. Yes. Yes. Um, the healthcare debate would have been very, very different. I think so, yeah. Yeah. But... It's an ongoing process. Life is an educational experience. That's right. Whether we like it to be or not. Right. Well, I'm like so excited that you're helping us uh, gain more education. And well, I want to thank you for inviting me back. This is always great fun. Oh, anytime. Um, and uh, I can't wait to figure out what our next topic will be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the politicians are kindly throwing us things oh, left and goodness. right. So and we were just ta- we were talking before um, I start I hit record that the. The news cycle is so fast and so yes. swift these days mm-hmm. that we'd pick this topic about a month ago. Right. And I'm glad that we stuck to it because I think anything that has happened in the news cycle since last right. we talked, you can apply these four levels well, of ethics to. Well, the way the administration is running through staff, I know <laughs> issues of ethics and ethic waivers and things right. like that are always going to come up. Yeah. But I think... Budget's going to come back again. Yes. Oh, Taxes yes. Taxes are certainly coming up. They mm-hmm. 
are talking in Congress, because they have been for years, about a major tax overhaul. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what pops up about that. Right. Um, if we get the proposals. One of the disturbing things that seems to be gaining a little bit of steam is more secretive negotiations yeah, and then last minute public popping. debate. Right. Yeah. I don't want to sound like I was prescient or anything, but when Nancy Pelosi put forth what was the affordable patient affordable care act mm-hmm. and the complaints were that people hadn't had a chance to read it. And, uh, she said, well, you have to pass it to see what's in it. I was astounded. Yeah. And I just had the feeling that was going to come back to bite them in the butt. And it did. And it did. That was the mm-hmm. exact thing that, uh, the Republican supporters of the most recent version said. Yeah. Like, well, that's not really the way we should participate in well, the right. political process. And it's really not um, government. I mean, government no. is a living, breathing thing. You can't, you know, shut it up in a room and then expect right. people to be okay with that. Well, one of the things that we, uh, for example, with the professional ethics component mm-hmm. of government, uh, we expect a degree of transparency. Right. Because they're playing with, from a most mundane perspective, you're they're they're playing with my money and your money. Yeah. If they were spending their own money like businesses do, mm-hmm. okay, close the door, go away. I don't have any right in. Right. But it's my money. <laughs> right. Right. So it's my I it's do your have money. A right yeah. mm-hmm. to listen here before the final decision is articulated. Right. I'm not sure if that's one of those things that will survive this round of politicking. Mm-hmm. But I certainly hope it does. Yeah. I hope it gets, and not only professionally, but also gets reinforced at the organizational level again. Yeah. That um, the the people do have the right to know. What's going on? Yeah. And yeah. like, what are you, what are the arguments in favor of your side? Mm-hmm. What are the arguments opposed? Right. We can't make rational decisions without information. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So when you feel like you're being irrational, take a beat, take a deep breath, right. and then make it to sleep on it. As they sleep say. on it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Johnny, thank you so much for giving us an insight into ethics, and uh, maybe we'll talk budget next time. Maybe budget will come back All and get right. us again. All right. Thank you so no much. No problem. For more information on what you've heard on today's show, be sure to head over to our website, and that is recordtalklisten.com. If you or you know somebody who would like to sponsor the show, be sure to have them get a hold of us. We have thousands of downloads each week from all of our episodes, and it is an, an ad that will never expire, so it's the most bang for your buck. So if you're thinking about doing that for your local business, uh, get in touch with us, send us an email, and that's recordtalklisten at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, the listeners, and we are available to you pretty much 24-7 because of the internet. So you can get in touch with us on Twitter at RTLpod, Facebook at Facebook.com slash RecordTalkListen, or an old-fashioned email always gets through at RecordTalkListen at gmail.com. This has been another episode of Record Talk Listen, where I hit record, people talk, and hopefully you listen. Until next time, thank you so much. Mm-hmm.